And as you're seated, if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, looking at verse 19 and 20, primarily verse 20. And our theme for this month is going to be the theme of rest, the theme of recovery, renewal, restoration, entering into the presence of the Lord. We heard a wonderful sermon from Rob last week about the dangers of placing kind of ministry activities or doing things for Jesus ahead of encountering and living and loving the presence of Jesus. And we're going to continue that theme about the reality and and power and our ultimate need of his presence. So over 700 years ago, St. Anselm would say this little prayer very often to himself to remind himself what is important. He would say, oh, little soul, escape from your everyday business for a short while. Hide for a moment from your restless thoughts. Break off from your cares and troubles and be less concerned about your task and your labors. Make a little time today for God and rest a while in him. And so that's what we want, this theme. What does it mean to rest a while? Oh, little soul, put away the the cares and concerns about your task and your labors and rest a while in him. So where we are in Matthew, we're in chapter 18. And what I want us to do this morning is I just want to kind of lead you through a meditation, not really a sermon, just a meditation on Matthew 18, verse 20 where Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among you. So where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among you. And we'll just take that and kind of hold that up, this promise, this incredible promise of his presence. You know, one of the things Jesus is doing is echoing one of the master promises in the Bible you know, I did a uh, biblical search through one of my uh, sophisticated search engine Bible computer tools and uh, found there, there were over 300 of these references to I am with you or I will be with you in, in the Bible. Tried to narrow them down. I narrowed them down to what I thought was the most relevant 180 and then printed them out on 10 sheets of paper. If you would like these, it's remarkable reading. I can send them to you. And you'd just be amazed at how often that promise of I will be with you comes throughout the scriptures. I mean, it's the promise given to comfort Abraham when God's encouraging him to leave from his country and go to an unknown land. And it's also the warning given to Abraham's enemies, don't mess with him because I am with him. It's the promise and comfort that's given to Jacob as he has to flee from his home. It's the comfort given to Moses as he's overwhelmed with the task that he's going to be called to do. It's the comfort given to Joshua before he has to prepare for battle. It's the comfort given to Jeremiah and all those who are thrust into exile. It's the comfort given to Mary in the midst of this incredible mystery that she enters in. And it's the comfort given to dozens and dozens and dozens of others. And it's the comfort that Jesus gives to us. And actually, when you look at all 180 and try and sympathize them, I thought, or synthesize them, I thought it was interesting. They kind of fall into several broad categories. This often is the comfort that God gives to his people when they're um, wrestling with the reality of being sojourners and strangers, that they're on pilgrimage, that they're about to be thrust in very uncertain times and uncertain situations. This is the comfort. It's the comfort or it's it's given to those who need courage when they're about to enter times of battle. 
in difficulty. And what's interesting about our text, the text, it comes here in the context of relational tension. When somebody has wronged you and you have to take someone else and you have to forgive someone who has wronged you in this relational tension, that's the the context is relational conflict. Jesus promises to be with us. And then it gives comfort in the midst of suffering. And then oftentimes it's the promise that's meant to give rest at the end of wrestling. So this is one of the great promises in the Bible. And I just want us to think about, all right, well, what is it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? This incredible promise of his presence. What is it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? But before we even do, we need to realize how essential his presence is to our spiritual health and flourishing. Um, What his presence is to our soul, air is to your body. So as essential air is to your body, his presence is to your soul. And I don't know if you've ever, um, I was about to say had the, well, I don't know if you've ever almost drowned or choked, had the experience where you couldn't breathe. I almost drowned once. And I was uh, whitewater rafting with a boat full of um, exchange students. And so it was in the late 90s, one of my good friends was doing college ministry at the University of Georgia, and his college ministry was with, you know, exchange students who had, uh, international students uh, who had come in, and he really had this great idea that he wanted to take the students, uh, take them all up to North Georgia uh, to do whitewater rafting. And we were going to go to the area that they had just redone for the Olympics. So this is not like, let's sit in a tube and we're going down the lazy river. And so we take this collection of students up and, uh, you know, I show up and I'm in college and show up as like one of the chaperones, which, you know, you do student ministry, you have silly things like that. And I arrive and like one of the groups, uh, there was a group of four uh, international students somewhere from Asia, four, you know, cute, sweet girls all way weighing about 90 pounds, and this is late 90s, so this is before, like, phones and selfie and, like, photos are a thing, so this is the first group of people I ever saw. They came fully decked out, like, with their big cameras around and had, like, waterproof coverings, and they were, like, taking the selfies and the photos and doing the whole thing, and I so I was like, all right, this is going to be an interesting boat ride. And the guy who was leading our expedition, I don't even know what his name was, but he's like this mountain man with long hair and the whole thing, and he just called me big guy. He's like, all right, big guy, you're going to be at the front of our boat, we're going to be in the back, I'll be in the back, it's going to be awesome. And so we start going down, and then we're other other groups, and uh, my whole hope is like, we just have to survive. And so there'll be times I'm in the front, and I'm just like digging in the water. And then I'll look back, and they're, you know, snapping, and like, I'm like, awesome. And... Uh, we get down one of the rapids, and he's like, you know what we got to do? Let's ride the bull. Ladies, do you want to ride the bull? And they're like, ah, yeah. I'm like, no, nope, no, nope. we, we do not need, there are no bulls that need to be ridden. We, let's, I mean, do you have, is there any, like, no, we do not need to ride the bull. So he said, we're going to ride the bull. So he said, what I'm going to do is we're going to go, we're going to hit this rapid. Then I'm going to turn us around and big guy up front, you just start digging. And what we're going to do is we're going to go in the rapid and then we're just going to ride the rapid, be the bull. It'll be awesome. And they're just nodding. (laughs) So we ride the bull. We turn it and we're getting in there and we start riding. And then the water starts kind of coming in of the front. And it hits me. I kind of lose orientation and get sucked out of the boat. 
and I go under the boat, and then I come up with a life jacket. I come up, and I'm under the boat. And it seemed like, in my mind, it was for three hours that I was, it was probably like 13 seconds. But for those 13 seconds, there was only one thing in life that mattered, is air. And it's the same, the reality for our soul. Jesus says, you're going to go through this dry and weary land, and the only thing that matters, if your soul is going to survive, you've got to have my presence. So let's walk through this and just the promise of his faithful presence, and then uh, the, what it brings, how we get it. So let's just first think about the promise. And what I want you to notice as we look at it, notice what's not important. Look at where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I among them. Notice what's not important. The numbers are not important. He, there's, no, there's no numerical limit where Jesus says, yeah, I'll come to you. If you can get 25 people, if you can get 250 people, if you can get 1,000, then I will be there. You had a pastor one time who said he doesn't, uh, he doesn't take serious any church that doesn't have at least two services because that shows just not enough people are going. Like, what a ridiculous thing to say. And so glad Jesus doesn't say silly things like that. It doesn't matter, the numbers. They don't matter. And notice the rank of the people. He doesn't say, if you can get uh, the stars, you know, if you can get the Duke and the Duchess of Chutney, then I will attend. If you can get, you know, the mayor and all the important people in your city, if you can get the movie stars or the athletes, or you can get the, the headliner who will draw a crowd, I'll come. He says, two or three of you, those who love me, those who follow me, the numbers don't matter. The rank of the people don't matter. Actually, the place doesn't matter. Jesus is not saying, look, if you can reserve for me a suite down at the JW, I'll come. If you can reserve for me a back room at the nicest restaurant in town, I'll come. The place doesn't matter. He doesn't demand to meet us if we can get an audience for him at the White House or Buckingham Palace or some other illustrious place. The number, the rank, the place, the time doesn't matter. He doesn't say, all right, I'll give you 12 minutes in this time. Not a morning person. Don't do before 10. Time doesn't matter. You think about when is a good time to pray. A good time to pray is when you have a need. That's a good time. A good time to pray is when you have an opportunity, when you have a desire, when you come together. Any time is a good time. And it's important here not to get caught up in the things that aren't important. But notice what is important. They gather, when two or three gather, in my name. So it's in his name. This is not just gather to hang out or watch the game or do anything like this. It's a gather in my name to enter into his presence, to exalt his name. And so you, whenever you hear the idea of gather in my name, you should be thinking about worship. We've already been commanded to pray, hallowed be thy name. May your name be exalted. The key theme that runs all throughout Deuteronomy is once I find a place where I'm going to set my name, and that's going to be the place where you enter into my presence. So it's about worship. And that's the goal of worship. The goal of worship is to enter into his presence, to have a personal encounter with the risen Christ. So you have personal knowledge of him, personal trust, personal adoration, personal service. It's the goal is to come into his presence. Charles Spurgeon, who's, who uh, late Victorian pastor, had six, 7,000 people would come, listen to him preach, said this should be the great object of all of our gatherings, 
to be brought more fully into the presence of Christ. And all of us must, meanwhile, believe that Jesus is in the midst when we come together. You do not meet tonight to listen to some preacher, but because through that preacher you have been helped to come nearer to the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, you're glad to hear his voice and you're glad to worship God with all of these friends because we have fellowship together in Christ. So that's the central reality, the whole goal. What matters is, is he there? His presence. And another thing I want you to note, isn't it interesting how Jesus says, where two or three gathered in my name, there, not there I will be. It's not there I will come. It's there am I. I'm actually already there. There am I. I'm already there. I'm already there dwelling in the people that gather. I'm already there dwelling in my word. I'm already there dwelling in the sacraments that you'll partake. I'm, I'm already there. You're coming to where I am. And notice, I love actually the old King James, there am I in their midst among them. I'm in their midst. I'm in the middle. I'm not hiding in the corner. I'm not hiding under a chair. I'm in the middle of them. I am at the center. God-centered. And so this is essential. This is what we need. Uh, and one of the reasons why we need this, or another reason why this is so important, is because the reason we need him to, or we need to come into his presence, is because he's the one who we need to listen to who's going to help us learn how we're supposed to live this life. You know, that's one of the key themes already in this whole section. Because in chapter 17, he gave us the rhythms for his house that once a week we ascend the mountain into his presence. Then we go out into the world with his power. And so we come into his presence. And what God told us to do in his presence is, this is my beloved son whom I'm lo I love. I want you to love him too. Listen to him. We come into his presence to listen, and the reason why we need to listen is because he's the one who is going to tell us how we're supposed to live. You know, one of the challenges of the world we live in is there's so many voices, so many experts, so many opinions. You know, Mark Zuckerberg kind of famous, famously says, he, one of his lines is, uh, is it ever wrong to give more people a voice? It's like, well... Maybe, maybe not, but that means there's a whole lot of noise if everybody has a voice and is talking. And one of the great challenges for all of us, especially teenagers, is who are you going to listen to that you're going to trust um, on how to live? Like, who are the actual experts on life transformation? You know, one of the things like YouTube has done is it's opened a whole world where you have pseudo-experts. People are experts in everything that you can learn from. And so here's the question. Who, who's the expert you're going to learn from on how to live your life? Experts on life transformation. Who knows what life is supposed to be and how you live it? You, know, you grow up learning, listening to your parents, and then it shifts to, to peers, culture, other adults, media. You know, the question is, who has mastered life? You know, it was interesting, Steve Hurd, who did, he did his dissertation on the, the effects of faith formation in adolescence. Kind of these three big groups, the parents' role, their peers' role, and then um, non-parental adults' role. So you have all these different streams that are coming to teenagers. Kind of think, all right, who are you going to listen to that's going to help you learn how to live? You know, who, who do you look for? 
And we need to come into Jesus' presence because he's the one who's going to teach us. He's going to help us know who we should live. And one of the key themes of you know, kind of our image in our Trinity kids is the image of the oak tree, that tree, an oak of righteousness planted. But also as it echoes to Psalm 1, that you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water and you'll meditate on his word and we hear his voice, hear his word, because that's going to teach us how to live. You know, one of the very first lines is you don't want to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We need his presence because we need to be uh, kept from the counsel of the ungodly. Now, when you even hear that phrase, the counsel of the ungodly, what comes to your mind? What type of advice is that meant to keep us from? Maybe you kind of grew up in a world where the counsel of the ungodly means you don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls who do. Is that the counsel of the ungodly? Dallas Willard says, actually, the counsel of the ungodly is just the normal way most people talk. So a couple examples he gives is the counsel of the ungodly is to live as though it's not true, to live as though it's not true, that you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny. So you live like you're not going to live forever somewhere. So the counsel of ungodly is to live as though what matters most is what other people think about you. That's the counsel of the ungodly. Or to live as though the outcomes of my life are primarily on my shoulders. That's the counsel of the ungodly. Or, he says, live as though aging is something bad or something you should worry about. Counsel of the ungodly. Live as though satisfying my desires and appetites is a wise strategy for well-being. To live as though gratifying my impulses is the real path to real freedom. Counsel of the ungodly. That is to live as if acquiring more, looking younger, getting even with those who hurt you. That's the real path for life. And the reason why we need his presence is because we need to listen to who can help us master life. Whose voice are we meant to follow? So his presence is essential. But now I want you to think about how his faithful presence then will empower yours. And in this middle section, there's a couple things that I want to just kind of highlight, and I'll go over this kind of quickly, but highlight certain things that we want to mark our church as more of an organization. But you think about it, his promise for his faithful presence to us is not just meant to comfort us when we're afraid, it's meant to empower us for the mission that he's given us to do. So his promise of faithful presence is meant to empower our faithful presence because he's calling us to be salt and calling us to be light in our world, and we cannot be empowered to do that without his presence. He has a calling for all of us individually and all Christians as a group to be a model and example, to be a channel of his blessings, to actively seek uh, reconciliation and to reconcile all things. And part of uh, the church gathers to come into his presence, then we go out into the world, we scatter so that we can then be his presence in all of those places that he's put us. Give priority to what's right in front of us, the people, the neighborhood, the task. Uh, Tom Nelson says, God has designed the church, his household, so that faithful believers scatter all throughout society in all kinds of workplaces and occupations and situations and neighborhoods, and these are the front lines of missionary encounters. It's our Monday mission, the primary work of the church, is the church at its work. 
So going out into the places where we're, we're faithfully present in the places that he's put us. A couple different marks of an organization, kind of who we want to be. So you look on the front of our bulletin, you know, our desire as a church is to be God-centered, to center you on the presence of the living Lord so you come into his presence and orient yourself to him. It's to be a place that's grace-saturated where you, you feel uh, the atmosphere of grace. But then we also want to be a church, our wording is like an anchor church. And that's kind of clumsy language, but the idea is the idea of we want to be faithfully present as an organization in this community for generations to come. So one, we aim for longevity. If you have the bulletin or filling in the blanks, that's the first blank. Aim for longevity. David Sadarma talks about increasing the cost of leaving at a place. Aim for longevity. Uh, it's here uh, through the joy, suffering, hopes, disappointments, concerns, desires, and wor worries of the people with whom you're in long-term relationship with that the kingdom is built. So aiming for longevity, embracing a kingdom mindset, having a mindset that what God is doing in the world is so expansive and vast, and we want to play our little part in this grand kingdom movement. And we talk about embrace a kingdom mindset. The kingdom is the, the, the coming of new creation, new creation coming. So how in our little spheres of influence and little places can we bring the reality of new creation to that place? It means building enduring institutions, you know, the line that without individuals, uh, nothing ever changes, but without institutions, nothing ever lasts or endures. So focus on things like buildings, boards, budgets, organizational structures, not the most exciting things, but uh, essential to a faithful presence. And then promote the good, the true, the beautiful. Have a commitment to be the ones trying to promote the good, the true, the beautiful. I think this is the great cultural challenge that we face. Most people, at least in our world now, aren't asking whether or not Christianity is true. They want to know, is it good? And will it produce things that are beautiful? So we're not wanting to know, what's our belief about things like uh, sexuality and gender? The question is not, is it true? The question is, is this actually good? Is it good for people? So we want to be the people who promote the good, the true, the beautiful. So then the question is, all right, well, how can you experience his faithful presence? If, that's, if you need it personally, this is what we want to be as an organization, how can we experience it? A couple commitments. One, commit to worship. Worship is the place where you come into his presence. That's why we intentionally design and order our worship services. It's subtle, but the, the design is to try and help you move into his presence. And you kind of see the three main movements. If we come in, we go up. And then we sit around his table, in, up, around. And kind of that terminology comes from uh, the book of Leviticus, sacrificial system in Leviticus. The key theme of the book of Leviticus is what's required to enter into the Lord's presence. And the answer to that question is sacrifice. You can't come into his presence without sacrifice. And the original in the Old Testament, there were different sacrifices. The first category were the sacrifices, all the ones like guilt, blood, atonement. Those were the sacrifices that brought you in covered your sins so you can come into the door. And then there was a whole group of sacrifices, the sacrifices that brought you up into his presence. That's the whole offering, the burnt offering, the consecration, consecration offering, all those in that category meant to bring you up. And then there were the fellowship offerings, the grain offering, the wine offering, the ones where you then celebrated with God at his table. So you had sacrifices to bring you in, sacrifices to bring you up, and sacrifices that you fellowshiped at his table. 
And so now, because Christ has fulfilled all of those sacrifices, he is our great sacrifice. So by his blood, he's brought us in. By his blood, he's ascended up, or with his spirit, he's ascended up. And now we come to his table to feast with him in word and sacrament. And so our sacrifices now under the new covenant now have been transformed to we offer our bodies as living sacrifices where we sing songs of praise. So our songs are songs of, of sacrifice that bring us in, ascend up. So the goal of worship is to come into his presence. But all of that's the basic structure. You know, in one sense, it's kind of like Elijah. You can put the wood down, but he has to send the fire. He has to be the one to send his spirit so we can encounter him. But if you want to encounter him, you have to commit to worship. Another thing you got to do is commit to relationships. I mean, Christ is dwelling in his people. And one of the beautiful marks of growing in grace is to begin to see the evidences of Christ's work in people's lives. And for some of us, the evidence is slow going and sometimes hard to decipher. But it's there and be, being able to see the evidences. So when you come into, uh, this is why things like small groups are so important, just uh, not so you can just kind of hang out with people, but so you can be around other people who Christ is at work in them and will be at work with you uh, together. So commit to worship, commit to relationships. And the third thing is commit to the word. You know, the word is the place where we encounter him. It's the place where we hear his voice. And, you know, the numerical minimum for encountering his presence, at least here, is where two or three gather. But do you realize what a privilege it is that you have the opportunity where you at any time could sit down and you could gather with the Apostle Matthew, who walked with Jesus, who intentionally ordered and arranged his book so he could teach you all that Jesus had taught them. And you can sit with the Apostle Matthew and the two of you can gather and you can be drawn into his presence so you can hear his voice. You can sit down with not just two or more, but the whole host of God's people who for generations have sung the Psalms and celebrated these songs of praise. And you can join the heavenly choir of singing his praise. So when we come to the word, the most important reality about encountering the word is not just to read it, to analyze it. It's not just to read it, to study it, or even to know it. It's actually to hear his voice and see his face. St. Augustine said the thing that transformed him was when he began to see Jesus's face, especially in the Old Testament. He began to see him. And so you come into his presence, commit to worship, commit to relationship, commit to the word. You can gather with the Apostle Paul every morning, and the two of you can be brought into his presence. So think about your life as we close and wrap up. Just think about your life. What often when God comes to give the promise that I will be with you, it's often in certain contexts, contexts of uncertainty, contexts of difficulty, context of struggle and sorrow. So think about just the context of your life. Um, in what area do you need his presence? Are you in one of those areas? Do you feel the need for his presence? You know, one of the real challenges in our modern world, especially in a place like this, is we're so self-sufficient, we often don't actually believe we really need his help. Do you know you need his presence? that his presence is heir to your soul, do you need it? And then the second question is, how will you commit to seek it? 
Think about your life just this summer, this summer coming up. Or is there certain things that you can recommit to so you can seek his presence? How will you seek him? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. And we thank you for the gift of this tremendous promise that your promise is to bring your presence. So we ask that you help us, make us the kind of people who desire above all things to seek your face. You have commanded your people to seek your face and we would respond, Lord, it is your face that we will seek. So I ask that you help us. Pray for anyone who's come in and they're in a situation where they know very well that they need your presence, that they need your help. We pray that they would lift that up to you. And then we ask that you help us to be the kind of people who are committed to doing the type of things that you've promised to uh, connect your presence with. So help us be committed to those things. This we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. One of the great gifts that we celebrate every week is communion, because communion is our weekly reminder of his promise to be with us and the promise of his presence. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread symbolizes my body that's broken for you. So as we take it today, let this symbolize, let it remind you, remember that his body was broken so that his life can come into the, our broken places. He was broken so that we can be made whole. So this is your reminder that it's his presence that brings wholeness. Take and eat. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood that's shed for the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of sins is the access. It's the way we come into his presence. It's the price that's been paid so we can have access to the tremendous privilege and promise of knowing the Father and coming into his presence. So take and remind yourself of the incredible gift it is to be called into his presence. And now may the love of a dying Savior the power of a risen Savior, and the hope of a returning Savior be yours now, this week, forever, and always. Amen. Go in peace.